Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have with this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. And this podcast is all about that. My guest on the podcast this week is Amy Williams, co-founder and CEO of Goodloop. The big idea behind my business is that your time and your attention and your data, all of these things online, they are valuable to someone. They're valuable to advertisers. And so we want to basically harness that value and use it to make the world a better place. That's the reason I called it Good Loop, actually, was I was thinking about this idea of creating a virtuous cycle, you know, like advertising is, is such a big business and it, and it funds the free internet. It's, but it's something that people inherently resent. There's a huge erosion of public trust around advertising online. And, you know, it, it, it's illustrated by how many people use ad blockers. It's, exactly. it's in the hundreds of millions that use ad blockers. And then it kind of leaves you to question, well, how are we going to keep the internet free if we can't find a way for advertising to be perceived more positively? We're on a mission to make ethical advertising the new normal. And that means that, you know, whenever you see an ad online, it shouldn't be something you block. It should be something that you're pleased to see because it means that the world is being made a better place. This is Amy. Amy is an active member of the Women in Tech and the Tech for Good communities. She was recently named by Forbes as one of the 30 under 30 most influential people in media and marketing and has recently been listed in the Drum Digerati as one of the 100 outstanding individuals excelling in the UK digital industry. Amy has worked in the advertising sector all her career. At the age of 15, she first stepped into an advertising agency. She cut her teeth in one of the world's largest advertising agencies, where she worked on everything from global TV ads to scrappy social campaigns. During this time, she realized that it's really difficult for brands to get their message in front of their audience in a cost-effective and positive way. The more she learned about the industry, the more she started to see a disconnect between brands and the people they were trying to talk to. Too often a transaction between an advertiser and a viewer is at best impersonal and at worst unpleasant. As ad blocker downloads continue to rise and quality journalism continues to suffer the consequences, she sensed that it was time for a more positive solution. And that's why she founded the ethical video advertising platform, Goodloop. And this inspired me, hence I invited Amy to my podcast. We explore what is broken in the advertising industry and why current approaches to get the maximum number of eyeballs for the minimum possible cost will only make things worse, not better. 
We dive into the concept behind Goodloop and how it has found an ingenious way to connect people, brands and publishers in a more meaningful and consequently more effective way to create a winning case for everybody involved. By listening to this podcast, you will learn three things. Firstly, why, in order to create breakthrough innovation, it is key to frame the problem in the correct way, i.e. name the true villain in your story. Secondly, how, by making your solution outcome-oriented, or in other words, only make customers pay for success, you can create an offer that's a no-brainer for every stakeholder to get involved in. And thirdly, why, by simply starting, you will be 10 times further ahead than most people who just talk about an idea, but hope for all the stars to align first. So hi, Amy. Thank you for making the time today on my, uh, my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hi, thanks for having me. Exactly. So I heard a lot of good news about your company. But before we start and discuss that in more detail, share a little bit about your passions in life and maybe why you started to become an entrepreneur in the first place. Yeah, sure. So I come from an advertising background. I started my career in advertising and I loved it. I mean, I started in that industry because I was really fascinated by psychology and the human brain and what drives us to make decisions, what drives us to buy certain products or be loyal to certain brands. And, you know, the concept of a brand is, is, is a fascinating thing, right? Because it's this combination of like trust and reputation and personality. And, and I, I found it all very, very in, enticing. So I went into advertising I spent quite a few years there working with some amazing brands like British Airways and Unilever and I learned a lot and I, I loved it. And I think that's where I kind of began to think about what eventually became Goodloop um, because I was seeing lots of brands starting to try and build something more positive, try and create a more meaningful brand. So, so that was sort of the, the beginnings of it all, I suppose. Okay. Well, now that you've uh, introduced Goodloop, just explain, what is the big idea behind Goodloop? The big idea behind my business is that your time and your attention and your data, all of these things online, they are valuable to someone. They're valuable to advertisers. And so we want to basically harness that value and use it to make the world a better place. Okay. I kind of come from, as I say, I come from the industry. So I've seen firsthand the millions and millions of dollars that are spent on advertising. And I want Goodloop to be the force that uses that money to fund more meaningful change. Interesting. So, so how does it work? I mean, give me an example. You know, how does Goodloop become sort of yeah, an intermediate between the consumers and, and advertisers? So, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an advertising platform. So we work with advertisers like Unilever and KitKat and H&M. So we work with a whole host of different advertisers. We take their content and we distribute it onto websites. So we have like a premium list of websites like the New York Times, the, the Independent, the Guardian. And when you choose to engage with one of their adverts through Goodloop, so, you know, perhaps you choose to watch an ad or perhaps you click on an ad or you swipe up or you engage in some way, you then unlock a free donation funded by the advertiser. So okay. from the user's point of view, it's basically engage with ads to do good for free. And from the advertiser's point of view, they are getting much higher, more meaningful engagement with their content and therefore you know, funding the donations along the way. Great idea. <laughs> Thanks. And now I see what you mean. We make the internet a more positive place for everyone, for brands, yeah. for the world. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's the reason I called it Good Loop, actually, was I was thinking about this idea of creating a virtuous cycle, you know, like advertising is, is such a big business and it, and it funds the free internet. It's crucial to keeping information free, keeping the internet free, but it's something that people inherently resent. There's a huge erosion of public trust around advertising online. You know, scandals like the Facebook and Cambridge Analytica partnership, they've yeah. really, really damaged the relationship between the public and, and, and advertisers. And, you know, it, it, it's illustrated by how many people use ad blockers. It's, exactly. it's in the hundreds of millions that use ad blockers. And then it kind of leaves you to question, well, how are we going to keep the internet free if we can't find a way for advertising to be perceived more positively? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, you wonder sometimes whether advertising will has has had its best chance on the internet. Indeed, um, mm, yeah. To another company in this space that is that came actually from from that particular area, and they said, uh, well, in order to get the eyeballs again of of advertisers, you have to present them with something that's relevant. So, I mean, they started to kind mm. of push, for example, blogs and and, and relevant content to people. But at the mm. end, it it comes down and it boils down to. I want to read, I want to see it, I want to read it if it's relevant to me. And yeah. what you do here is that, okay, I'm happy to, to, to watch that particular advertising if I know that, that, well, the money for that advertising is actually going to a good fund. What I think it really is all about is value exchange. Yeah. You know, like I said at the, at the beginning, your time is valuable, your attention is valuable. Someone somewhere is making money from it, but we don't see any of that value. We're just exploited and sold as a commodity online. So I'm really interested in this concept of creating more meaningful value exchanges between advertisers and the people online who they're buying and selling. Exactly. That's true. So, yeah, great idea. So how did it start? I mean, what was the aha moment? I don't know if there was one singular aha moment. I think it was a, a, a kind of, it took me about a year, I suppose. The first sort of key step was leaving my my job and leaving the ad industry which was scary but I felt this drive to to build my own thing I didn't know what it was going to be but I knew I wanted to work for myself I knew I wanted to build something I was proud of so I left advertising I went traveling I ended up in Argentina at this awesome little Commodore it's it's so Commodores are kind of like a soup kitchen but they uh-huh. just work with young kids and this particular one was in the outskirts of Buenos Aires and it was this fantastic community of people that were making a real impact and they, they spent so little money I mean they they fed like 30 kids every week and they had about a tenner you know their budgets were super super tight wow. and it just it made me it really fueled me because I, it kind of made me see you, know, you don't need a huge amount of money to do a lot of good in the world and I I'd been working in this industry where you know on average a brand will spend about 10 million per campaign on video content wow. so it just I saw, firstly, you don't need a lot of money to do a lot of good in the world. And secondly, I know where there is a hell of a lot of money, <laughs> advertising. So I think that was the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. But then it didn't really become a business until I met my co-founder. His name's Daniel. He was building white label advertising technology software based up in Scotland. So, you know, we come from completely different worlds. And I was living down in London. I was looking for a technical co-founder. I met him on a forum online and we were sort of sharing ideas. And we both seem to be in quite a similar position of, you know, loving and hating this industry at the same time and wanting to build something more meaningful and, and harness the potential that it has. And and so we decided to start the business together. So I think that, that's really the point when it, it turned from, you know, just me and a PowerPoint slide to a meaningful business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
so you're competing against the platforms like a Google and a Facebook, right? Well, I mean, I think there's an element of collaboration, and actually, we run across Google's, Google's ad network. So, you know, in some way, we're all sort of collaborating. But I do also think, you know, an advertiser has one budget, and some of that budget might go to YouTube, or it could go to Goodloop. So, in in another very real sense, we are absolutely competing for for that share of spend. Yeah. But I can imagine. I mean, since it is, this is this is the first time I hear about it, I think it's unique in the world. But you know, likely better than I do. If I was an advertiser, and I mean, I would spend my time, and, I, and you could guarantee me like exposure to the people that I, I want to to reach. That's that's like an obvious choice, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I one of the lovely things about Goodloop is that when we go and talk to advertisers and pitch to brands, there is this moment of like, why why wouldn't you do this? <laughs> and it's exactly. such a nice thing. And it is kind of. When I'm talking about it with the advertisers, the key thing I really want to focus on is, is ROI. Because I think, yes, Good Loop's about using ad money to fund social causes. And, you know, that's why I care. That's why I started the company. That's why I love it. But it's not the reason an advertiser should buy it. An advertiser should buy it because it gets them better, better engagement, better brand uplift, you know, better return on their investment. Because that's how you scale a business. So I talk a lot with our customers about, you know, what are the metrics that they are looking for in a campaign? Is it video view engagement? You know, is it the length of time people are watching their ads? Is it the percentage of people that are clicking on their ads? Uh-huh. Is it the, the conversion that they're getting to sale? And does Goodloop actually deliver on those key metrics? We did a really nice brand study recently. We ran a big campaign with KitKat. And every time you watched a KitKat advert, you could fund different cocoa farming initiatives. So supporting the kind of local cocoa farming communities in Sierra Leone. So it was really, really nice to tie in with the cause and the brand. And then we did a big brand uplift study and we found that we decreased negative brand perception by 65% and we increased positive brand perception by 13%. So that's why an advertiser should care about Goodloop. And, and I'm really proud of those kind of results that we're generating. Exactly. And in terms of click-through rates, is it similar than, than other platforms? So in terms of... I would, I would imagine it's higher. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it depends on how you're optimizing the campaign because some campaigns are more about views. But we just ran a really lovely campaign with Doombar, which is a beer brewed in here in, in the UK. And they far exceeded their, their benchmarks on click-through. I think at last count, it was at sort of 2% clicking through, which for a, for a programmatic video buy is 10 times what you'd expect. So we're really, really excited to see that people are, you know, if you think about the sort of proposition to the, to the the user, the person on the internet, it's really, really a no brainer. It's like, if you just engage with this ad, it takes you, you know, it costs you nothing. It takes you a few seconds and you get to do good for free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> True. Yeah, but also, like I said, the, it's, it's about what is relevant to you. And uh, yeah. this makes it a lot more relevant than it's well typically used to be, where you just ignore it, ignore the ad, and you think it's just yeah, you, you just install the ad blocker in order to uh, to not get those all those ads. Yes, because it's not, normally it's just noise. It absolutely so there's so much clutter on the internet now. Advertising has become so commoditized, especially through programmatic buying. It means that every ad is trying to get maximum number of eyeballs for minimum possible cost and it just it does result in a real drop in in quality and the, the user experience is, is bad and that's why people people ad block exactly well wow, that's a fantastic idea so when did you start building the platform well we 
once Daniel and I partnered up and decided to build the business together, we were at that point, we, you know, you've then got a team and that's where you can start talking to investors. So having Daniel on board was a real turning point because it then meant that the investors could start to kind of see, see the, the, the roadmap. So we quite quickly got investment after we partnered up. By January of 2017, we had a £50,000 investment from a group called Collider. They work across London and Amsterdam, and they invest in advertising technology. They're really early stage investors, like typically they're the first money into a company, which was the case in, in, in Goodloop. And they are all ex-advertising people. So they all have these great networks and expertise, and it just was such a good foundation for us and support network. So they helped us build our first product really with that funding. So that 50,000 went into paying for mine and Daniel's time so we could actually, you know, stop doing other work and focus full time on good loop. We built a little MVP, which was a very, very basic ad unit. It was so ugly. I can't believe it even ran, but it got results and we got our first paying customer. And, you know, I think that was really the key learning I had was getting your first customer is the hardest, hardest thing because everyone wants to be innovative, but nobody wants to go completely unto the unknown. So once we got that first customer and we had a case study, then things started to really fly. What do you believe is there was the magic to get your first customer? I mean, <laughs> it was a friend of a friend doing me a favor, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, it was probably a hundred quid and it was, you know, it was, it was complete, complete punt, but they believed in us and they gave us a chance and it was a small brand at the brand is called curb they're a london-based street food collective they support street food businesses all over london they make london as a city taste taste great and it, it's just such a such a brilliant business and they were our first ever customer and i will always be thankful to them yeah i can imagine but now you got brands i mean you got unilever nestle canon yeah, coca-cola yeah. i mean just name them <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've been really fortunate actually. I think the, the 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 key to our success has been that all these big brands are now thinking about how to make their marketing more more meaningful. You know, as you said, it's all noise. There's so much out there, and so to stand out and to connect with people, you have to make the world a better place. You have to you have to mean more than just soap and washing powder and chocolate sure. bars. Like people want to buy into something they believe in and they want to spend their pounds in a way that makes the world a better place. I think that that idea of uh, conscious consumption is, especially with younger people, is really powerful. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, in the journey to build your platform and getting that first minimum viable product to where you are right now, what were, like, like what was the one thing that really made it like a platform that stands out? I think it was, you know, our, our team and the people, you know, We've been really fortunate to have a great network around us of people that support us. Like I said, the Collider Angel Group were such a rich talent pool of like ex-advertising people, ex-Unilever people. You know, they could make great introductions. So that network was, was really the secret source. And then Daniel had been building advertising technology for 10 years prior to the Good Loop. So he had this wealth of knowledge and expertise and he has a PhD in AI and he's just super technical and he's got a very very talented tech team that work with him in Scotland and then I had all my kind of contacts and, and knowledge from the industry from working at Ogilvy so we were the right people to, to build yeah. this business and, I, and I, I think the lovely thing as we're growing the lovely thing I'm seeing is that it's attracting really smart talented people as well you know I get CVs 
through my we have a little open call on our website for people in case yeah. someone who's super talented is interested in working for Goodloop. We have a jobs at Goodloop mailing list and I'll I'll get one or two CVs a week because people love what we're doing and, and they lean into it and they want to get involved. So it's really, really nice. One attracts the other, exactly. Now, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm asking these type of questions is you know, I'm writing a book about like what makes a remarkable software business. And it's always good to have those type of anecdotes in there. Mm, um, exactly. So I mean, you, just, you mentioned, just because you mentioned the word AI, are you doing anything with that, that type of technology within your platform? Yeah, so the sort of secret source of Goodloop is around buying our inventory and then selling on a cost per success. So what I mean by that is we buy the inventory in bulk from a publisher. So let's say the New York Times, we buy it on a cost per thousand basis and we sell it on a cost per success model. So if we take our video products as an example, if you watch that video for at least 15 seconds, the advertiser will then pay us and the charity donation will be unlocked. So the advertiser doesn't pay if you don't watch. That's why we call it a cost per success model. And this is great for the advertiser because it means that they are, you know, there's low risk, there's low wastage. And our sort of key to making money and affording to the donations is that we have to increase the success based on the, the price we buy the inventory from. Excellent. So into this, into this quite complex probabilities, there's a huge opportunity to use AI to increase our effectiveness and therefore increase our margin. All our inventory is bought in real time through programmatic networks. And the highest probability that we can get a success, we can increase the bid. So, yeah, we're definitely looking to, to leverage Daniel's expertise to add exactly. value to the business. Yeah, that, is, that is something impossible to do by humans. And that's where, I mean, that's also the reason why I'm starting, why I have started this, this podcast is to see how technology can augment human mm-hmm. beings in order to, mm-hmm. to do things that we've never been able to do before. And, and this is one example of that. No, absolutely. We have some human learning and actually like for the last two years, the human learning has been really valuable, you know, in like the kind of context where we, where, where Goodloop does well, because what we're asking people to do is, you know, take 15 seconds, don't press skip, don't, you know, scroll past, just take 15 seconds out of your day and watch this ad and then you get to do good for free. And in some contexts, that's a no-brainer. In yeah. the other context, you're busy, you're trying to book a flight, you're trying to get, you know, get your shopping done or whatever, and you don't have 15 seconds. So even just human learning around like where our ads do well has been really, really valuable. And, and the machine learning just takes that to a whole other level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's where you can do, start to do this at scale and yeah. actually work with these, these brands that you got on your website. So, yeah. Exactly. Because, I mean, this is not about like, a thousand eyeballs. This is about millions. For sure. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. So, I mean, in the whole process, when your product was ready and it's, you had your first customers, and what did you learn in the selling process for this? Was, there, was this something that was like a no-brainer, like you said before? Or did it, did it also give challenges in terms of uh, getting it, getting from I like it to actually signing the contract? I think that there's a bit of a stigma attached to social businesses that we have to overcome i think people hear you know oh you you give money to charity for every view oh well you must be a charity then or you know i think there's this perception that because we're doing something good in the world we're not savvy business people and that's true from the customer's perspective you know they'll say okay well we'll call you next time we have a charity brief you know next time we want to do some good we'll give you a ring 
And it's like, no, the point is we run on regular campaigns, with ads you're already running, and we'll get you 50% higher engagement for no extra cost. Like, exactly. that's a financial business decision. Like, it just is the smart, it's just going to enhance your, your campaign performance. And so trying to shift perceptions away from, oh, you guys are doing good, to we deliver better results because we do good. I think that that's been a real interesting challenge. Cause I think it's something that is growing, you know, the awareness that, that by being ethical, you can make more money. Companies yeah. like Unilever have really been championing that idea of doing well by doing good. And it's starting to become more mainstream, but that's really it. That's the challenge that I've found. We've had to overcome a lot with our customers and also with our investors. Can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's typically selling the benefit of the benefits and that's, that's sometimes <laughs> lost in translation or completely forgotten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because people think you do it for one reason and at the end, uh, it's about a completely different ballgame. You use, you use the, the good part to uh, really increase impact. Exactly. Yeah. It would not do it. That's a win-win. for good people. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that, I mean, it, it also proves again that these things can go hand in hand very, very well. Yeah. And I think you asked me at the beginning, you know, what am I passionate about and what drives me? I am so excited by this idea of, of those two going hand in hand. If you, can, if you can make ethical behavior profitable for big businesses, you make it so much more scalable than any individual could make, any impact an individual could make. You know, when Unilever decides to promote a product that requires one less round of rinsing on the laundry, each individual family, sure, they're only doing one less rinse, but they sell in 10 markets and, you know, they sell thousands and thousands of liters of this stuff every day. You suddenly start to see the huge global impact that, that big businesses can have when they decide to be more ethical in their, in their practices. Correct. Yeah, that's true. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, there should be more of those ideas. I mean, that's also why I introduced you to Suzanne Bars, uh, one of the other people that I had on my podcast, who also mm. started to kind of really kind of take that well, take the kind of a known idea that's been living within hospitals, completely global and really democratizing access to your own, well, to your own health data. I love uh, that. Taking it to a completely level in terms of impact and how quickly things can be solved. So thinking big. Yeah. And, and with that mindset, that's what, yeah. what the world needs Thinking more. big and, and harnessing existing structures and uh, harnessing existing inventory industries. That's, that's I think, the key. Yeah, exactly. Because you're using, I mean, something like advertising is common. Everybody has been using it. Mm. Uh, companies are, are using it on a day-to-day basis. Complete marketing mm. departments live on that and <laughs> right. die on it. Charities have been around for a long, long time and you're just combining the three ideas. Exactly. Yeah. Where so much innovation is possible today and we still don't, well, it's, it's sometimes so, so hard to see and it's right in front of us. <laughs> and you had to go all the way to Argentina to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> and it was right over them. Yeah, but it's fascinating. I mean, that spark, and that's why I always ask about the spark. It's, it's those type of stories that can make, make something big. Yeah, it's quite common, I think, isn't it? I think, I think it's, it's the process of ripping you out of the everyday. You have to break routine in order to see the wood from the trees. Exactly. Completely agree with that. So what do you believe was the catalyst, your breakthrough moment? I mean, I think it was when... When we shifted from an idea to a, to a solution, you know, when I'm thinking about the early days of the business, when it was me in Argentina, it was an idea. It was, you know, there's a lot of money in advertising and it's all just sloshing around in Google and Facebook's pockets and we could do something so much better with it. You know, that, that was an idea. And 
an idea is great, but I think until you find a problem, until you find a solution to a problem, you're not going to get customers excited. So it was really when I started to frame it around ad blocking and thinking about the public perception of the ad industry and how making advertising more impactful and more meaningful through this idea I had could actually solve a lot of the problems in ad blocking and public trust and, and the negativity that was suffering that the industry was suffering from. So that was, I think it's just a reframing of it and finding, finding a way to fit these ideas I was having into a more concrete problem in the industry. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense. It's uh, very recognizable. So, I mean, in terms of doing the remarkable, what do you believe is, is what, what is one of your secrets in being remarkable? <laughs> <laughs> just starting. I think so many people have ideas and so few people start. Yeah, I, like actually just starting it, you're already... 10 times further ahead than most people who talk about ideas in the pub and then they never leave the pub. The idea is the person eventually hopefully does leave the pub and go home. But the, the yeah, I, like I meet so many entrepreneurs now through what I do, through networking, through other investors, through events. And the key thing that like threads us all together, I think, is this ability to just start, even though it's not perfect. And even though, you know, it's still probably... 10 times, it's still probably so far away from, from the vision you have. Don't wait till it's perfect. Don't wait till the right moment. Don't wait sure. for the stars to align. Like, just, just start. Exactly. Agree with that. So, when, and talking about where you are right now in terms of you've got a real software business, you've got, uh, yeah, you got funding behind it. Yeah. What do you believe is, is the secret to, to, rebuild, to, to build that remarkable software business? Are you trying to get me to write your book for you? No, no, no. Just asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I mean I've kind of already said this so I'm sort of repeating myself but okay, I think it is about people yeah like I really I really do think it it was our combination of of commercial and technical talent like being able to have both from the start meant that our product was really tightly aligned with our customers needs because yeah. I could feedback directly to Daniel you know it wasn't like an outsourced team in a different you know, with language barriers or geographical barriers it was me and Daniel together and I was talking to customers and then phoning Daniel and he was building it and and that feedback loop just meant that we could quite quickly get to a place where where we could we could make money and then sure. I could start to grow the team exactly and it's the making money is also an important part it's, that's uh, crucial yeah people keep telling me that <laughs> yeah that's true that's true yeah I mean I, I I like your answer there so from everything that you learned so far knowing that Typical CMOs are the people that, well, that you target with the business. What would your advice be to people that are in the marketing business or in the advertising business or spending money on advertising in general? What they should do and, and think different? I think it's about checking the KPIs, checking the key performance indicators that you are measuring success by. So there is a very common behavior in the industry to measure success based on things like click-through rate you know we've talked earlier about how good loop can increase click-through rate so you know we, we fall into this trap as well we look at click-through rate it is a good proxy because it is a direct illustration of how many people are engaging with your advertising but it can be a very misleading statistic because actually you know are they clicking for the right reason are the people who are clicking going to the right place is the type of person that's clicking the kind of person that you actually want to talk to so when we run good loop campaigns we look at click-through rates we look at completed view rates you know all those boring advertising metrics but we also measure brand uplift and we measure recall and we measure does this actually change 
perception of a brand and people's opinions of your brand and how relevant they think you are. You, to your point, it has to be about building relevancy between a customer and, a, and an advertiser. So changing the, the metrics of success, I think, are quite an important step if we want to increase the quality of advertising online and we want to increase the depth of a relationship a brand has with, a, with an advertiser. Agree. Yeah. That's food for thought because at the end you get what you measure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if you measure the wrong things, then yeah. I mean, indeed, sometimes click-through rate is, uh, is what is measured, but it's, it, all, it doesn't deliver the right, the right outcomes there. Exactly. So what is next for you? What is your greatest aspiration from here? So um, we're on a mission to make ethical advertising the new normal. And that means that, you know, whenever you see an ad online, it shouldn't be something you block. It should be something that you're pleased to see because it means that the world is being made a better place. And so we are looking to grow. We're raising some investment at the moment. We're doing our seed round, which will be funding our growing our London office and implementing the AI I mentioned into more of our product offering and also growing our brand and our marketing. So, yeah, over the next 12, 18 months, it's going to be about scale. And then we'll be looking to explore other international territories. Perfect. So at the moment, it's only UK. So we run campaigns globally, but our office is based in the UK. Yeah, of course, I understand. So if there's anyone on the podcast that could help you, what would you ask them? I guess I'm I'm still learning. You know, this is a massive learning curve for me to going through the experience of building a business like this. So I'm keen to chat with anyone who has expertise around taking a, a business from startup to scale up, which is going to be the sort of next phase of our, our business's life, life cycle. And also advertisers, like if you run ads if you buy ads on youtube or on facebook or you know if you run ads on tv like let's have a conversation because it might be that good loop can can actually deliver better engagement and you can do some good in the world at the same time i'll make sure that it's loud and clear on the podcast <laughs> Thank so you. where can people go to find out more about uh, good loop and about and say hi to you well we have our website is www.good-loop.com and on twitter we're at goodloophq and come and find me on LinkedIn, Amy Williams on LinkedIn. I mean, Amy Williams is such a common name, so that might be a bit tricky. I've got only my parents to blame for that. <laughs> so what, what should they look for beyond? I guess Amy Williams, good loop, just the whole thing. Otherwise, you'll end up with the gold medalist skeletal runner, Amy Williams, not me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the more successful Amy Williams. You don't want her. That's good. Yes, it's an icon as well. Okay, thank you very much for this. This was uh, inspiring and a lot of, well, I like, I like your idea and I've, I think I've expressed that and there should be more entrepreneurs like you in the world. It would be a much better place. Thank you. It's been really lovely chatting with you. Thanks for inviting me on the show. It was a pleasure. And for everybody listening today, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Amy Williams, co-founder and CEO of Goodloop. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. 
So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.